Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to episode 34 of Brighton Rock Podcast, uh, where Peter and I are still with Spencer Vignes. Hello, Spencer. You still with Hello, us? How are you doing? Still here. Still here. Excellent. Still Brilliant. With glass, still with a glass of red wine in hand. <laughs> Good man. You must be finishing that bottle by now. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> no comment, man. Here. <laughs> well, in this episode, I wanted to carry on talking about your um, career in the shape of your book writing for the Albion. You've written, as I understand it, I think it's two books, isn't it, on the subject? Um, I have. Have I, have. Have I yes. missed anything else? I've got A Few Good Men, published in 2007, I believe. Oh, correct. Is this, part, is this the quiz? You're asking me questions. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, A Few Good Men, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah Brennan Books from t- t- 2007, Few Good Men. And of course, in 2018, you published or had published Bloody Southerners, Clough and Taylor's Brighton and Hove Odyssey, um, which I've just been reading this week, actually, and we'll be coming to that in a moment. Um, what, where, where did the idea come from the first book, Few Good Men? How did that come about? Uh, that came, the, the idea for that was it wasn't, I'd, I'd done a couple of books already by then hadn't touched anything to do with Brighton, but actually it came out of um, the, you know, the song that Albion fans sing sometimes about Peter Ward, you know, number one yeah. was Peter Ward, number two was Peter Ward, number yeah. three was Peter Ward, et cetera, et cetera. Wardy Wonderland. Think, yeah, Wardy Wonderland. And after, I can't remember the game, um, but yeah, it got us thinking in the pub afterwards. So I think, you know, well, I wonder what my one to 11 would be. I wonder what my substitute would be, because I'm still from the days when you're only allowed one substitute. I wonder who the manager would be. And I thought, yeah, making to the book there, maybe. Um, and so I came up with, yeah, I wrote down a short list or a long list of players, narrowed that down, down to a short list, uh, and then just kind of contacted each one and said, look, you're the goalkeeper, you're the right back, you're the left back, you're, um, you know, this is my plan, you know, it, it'll be 12, well, 11 chapters and then one at the end for a sub and the manager and stuff. And all of the players said yes, which is good. 
Um, so yeah, so it went from there really. Um, it's heavily balanced or biased, should I say, towards the late seventies, early eighties mm. team. Yeah. That one, I suppose, partly because they were, you know, my heroes growing up, but also because certainly at that point when I wrote it, this was two thousand and seven. This is before we kind of come back up the leagues. So you know, um, they were our glory years, you know, to an extent as well. That kind of seventy six to eighty three period. Uh, one or two players kind of from different eras. Well, Peter O'Sullivan, who started in 1970, he was about the earliest player. And one or two others, Bobby Zamora was in there as centre forward, which Dean Saunders really wasn't too happy about. And um, Steve Penny as well, uh, who, I mean, his, his career was hampered by injuries with the album uh, during the late 80s. But, um, you know, he's still... I mean, the, the memories of him when he first turned up from Northern Ireland and what he used to do to right backs, you know, just had to be seen to be believed. So he yeah. had to be in there as well. So, yeah, that was the inspiration behind that book. So I loved writing that. That was great fun. But but the Clough one, Bloody Southerners, um, I mean, that was an idea that had been looking me in the face for years. And mm. the penny had just never dropped. I think sometimes the best ideas for, you know, if, if you're a journalist or a writer, you know, staring you in the face the whole time for, you know, whether it be a magazine article or, or a book, and you just can't see it. Mm. And I'd written about Clough's brief time, his nine-month period at Brighton in, in newspapers before in a couple of magazines. And I think just kind of, you know, what really made me think about it was, you know, there's so many books coming out about Clough at the moment, or over the last few years, you know, The Damned United and stuff like this and whatever. And a lot of them kind of either airbrush Brighton out of this or rather kind of change history. Yeah, I've not, I've not read the book, but The Damned United film basically says that he never actually started managing us effectively. Which, no, I mean, I, I thought the film was brilliant, but it was the one issue. Yeah, I loved it, but it's some of the it's some of the other books. I mean, you know, it's, um, it, they're good books, but you know, the the way it is is that um, you know, I I read most of them, you know, part of it, you know, kind of because I wanted to, but also in a working capacity. An awful lot of you know the way that it is is like, oh, Brian Clark came to this provincial club, Nottingham Forest, who done nothing, and he led them up, and they won the football league. And you think, well, hang on a minute, I don't think. Nottingham Forest were ever like this small provincial football club. I mean, you know, my idea, my idea of a provincial football club is like, you know, Exeter City or or Cheltenham Town or something like that. You know, you think, well, Nottingham Forest, you know, they won the FA Cup, you know, not that long before Clough was there. They mm-hmm. finished runners up in the league, not that long beforehand either. And you think, well, you know, there's a lot was for dramatic license. A lot was, you know, Nottingham Forest position was being played down to play up Clough's yeah, exactly. standing and what he did, which was obviously incredible what he did. But I thought, well, hang on a minute, Clough did manage a proper provincial football club at one point, which was what Brighton were in '73 when he turned up. You know, we'd done nothing really at that point. We were just, you know, we we. We were just a, a, a third division team and that was our place in the grand scheme of things. And we'd had one or two, you know, memorable seasons and we got big crowds sometimes. But, you know, we 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 hadn't set the world on fire at all. Mm-hmm. You know, barely been in. I think we've, we'd spent up until 1973, I think we'd spent four seasons in the old second division of the championship in the years now. Maybe a couple more, four definitely. 
never been in the top flight, never been to a cup final, you know. No, you know, I don't think we, we actually haven't been beyond the fifth round of the FA Cup. So we were a proper provincial football club. And I started thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, there's enough here to write a book. You know, this is what happened when Clough went to manage a proper provincial football club. And you know what? It didn't work out. You know, he didn't lead them to glory. There wasn't a European Cup at the end of it. It ended up with most of the players hating him and not waiting until he could go. And every, you know, it's the more, I know I'm biased being, you know, being a Brighton fan and everything, but um, the more you look at it, the more I start to think, well, this is the most fascinating part of, of the club story. You know, yeah, going to Leeds for 44 days, that's all right, you know. Uh, uh, Nottingham Forest, you know, yeah, incredible. Derby, winning the league with them, incredible. But, but why would the most successful manager of his time, arguably, want to manage a club that had just done nothing and were in the lower reaches of Division Three? It made absolutely no sense. It was like the equivalent now is like Guardiola resigning as Manchester City manager and going to manage Bury. Or Mourinho giving up at Chelsea and going to South End. You know, it made absolutely no sense, even by Clough's rather bizarre standards, you know, kind of strange ways. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I contacted quite a few players, um, and most of them I knew already and spoken to already and worked with before. And I said, look, I'm thinking of doing this as a book, you know, would you be part of it? Because it's one thing doing a, a short piece for like Brighton's Match Day magazine or a little bit for a magazine, uh, um, you know, a, a paper article or something. But a book about somebody who's, you know, still quite divisive, even, you know, though he died 15, 16, 17 years ago now, you know, something else altogether. I, I thought they might not want to go on record saying, well, I hate the man, actually, which some of them did. And yet they all said, yep, yeah, okay, you know, fine. When do you want to come down then? So it was like, oh, all right. So, yeah, pretty much, you know, got about 10, 11, 12 of that surviving team or players who played under him around that time um, and uh, interviewed them. And pretty much the book, the book wrote, it, you know, wrote itself. I was quite fortunate. You know, it was, it was, they were a joy to work with. They're a lovely bunch. And it's not just about Clough either, really. It's also about Peter Taylor. Who, for anyone who isn't old and grey and sad like me, is uh, was Clough's uh, right hand man. And the 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 thing was that when um, Brian Clough jumped ship to go and manage Leeds United and left us in July 1974, he expected Peter Taylor to go with him. And Peter Taylor went, "No, I I like it here. I I want to stay." And one of the reasons, really, why it didn't work out for Clough at Leeds was because he was on his own for the first time in his in his life. And the old magic wasn't there. He didn't have somebody to fall back on. Um, I think similarly, so, Forrest, he didn't do that great until Taylor came and no, came back with him. No, no. He um, and again, it was it was like you know, for instance, in the Damned United, it's pretty much got him going to Leeds for forty-four days. It's not working at Leeds. So when he gets fired from Leeds, he gets in the car and drives to meet Peter Taylor and falls on his knees and says, "Come and work with me." And Peter Taylor says, you know, in the, in the form of Timothy Spall, said, yes, of course I will. Or, you know, I beg and I will. But, of course, that's all wrong because, you know, it was two years. Peter Taylor yeah. stayed at Brighton for another two years and he laid the foundations in many ways of the side that Alan Mullery inherited and took up to the top flight. 
you know, it was Peter Taylor who brought in Peter Ward, for instance. It was Peter Taylor who signed Brian Horton. It was Peter Taylor who signed Jerry Fell and so many of those other great players. One of the things they have a big, big thing about in Damned United is the fact that Taylor could spot a player and was like, we're yeah. We do all the scouting yeah. or a lot of the scouting and kind of like pick out random yeah. players from nowhere. They really, really were a double act. And um, most of the players at Brighton had an awful lot of time for Peter Taylor. Um, Norman Gall wasn't so fast, funnily enough. He, 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 he wasn't so keen. He said, if anything, in many ways, he thought that Peter Taylor was worse than Brian Clough. But, um, but most of the others had a lot of time for Peter Taylor. So... You know, the book, I mean, yeah, of course, it's, you know, Clough is the main name, you know, with Bloody Southerners, but it's as much about Pete and um, and him laying the foundations for what came next um, as as it is about Cloughy. And I think the fascinating thing, you know, the thing that I I didn't really, when I set out to write this, it, it, I, I hadn't appreciated how much that season or those two or three seasons, if you include the, the time when Peter Taylor was there, shaped the modern Brighton Hope Albion. You know, um, for the first time in 73, when Clough turned up, Brighton were front page news. And a lot of people got interested in us and started supporting us during that season. And a couple of years afterwards, when Peter Taylor was there, where we just missed out on promotion, but stuff was starting to happen. So he put us on, you know, they put us, between the two of them, they put us on the map. And those supporters were there for the the big ride under Alan Mullery and what have you. Um, but those supporters were also there when we ran into the the SHIT in the you know in the uh, in the nineties. Hmm. It was that support that had been building since the the Clough Taylor era um, that sustained us in our hour of need. I mean, I think if if we hadn't have kind of, uh, you know, I mean, I'd never, I'd never say we were a Manchester United or a Liverpool or a Chelsea or whatever, but we had enough about us when bad things started happening during the 1990s for other people on planet football to sit up and take notice and think, well, hang on a minute, if it can happen to Brighton, it can happen to anybody. Um, so in many years, you know, in many ways, I think their legacy is is still with us. I, I wonder whether we would be where we are now if it hadn't have been for the fact that they had turned up and put us on the map. All right, it didn't work for Clough and he buggered off. But he made us front page news and nobody else had ever done that. Yeah, I mean, it's a really remarkable period of time for the Albion. And as an Albion fan who started following in 79, 80, I, and, and even then didn't remember much about that exact time, um, the period immediately before it, I obviously knew all the basics, but yeah. I think your book, I have to say, is really well written. It's really enjoyable read. It's it's a fast, easy to read book, and I mean that as a compliment, not as a, as a, as a, as a twenty um, quid in the post to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but what if what it did? It filled in all of those little nooks and crannies in my knowledge of that period, and it really did serve to emphasise part of what you've just said there, which is that. Um, it put us on a different plane. It raised our profile and it set the way for what, what's happened since. Yeah, there's wow. been some troughs, there's been some changes, there's lots of changes through our history, but all of it is defined to some degree by what happened in that period in terms of yeah. the crowd being very fluctuant at that time, weren't they? Um, I think you report a few uh, stats of attendances going up and down wildly at that period of yeah. time for various reasons. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's... 
really interesting to fill in those gaps and to understand, which I feel I do now, a lot more about what led to the exact period when I started to become a fan in 79, 80, and the period that I remember, which is probably more from the, the 80s, mid-80s. Well, you're, not, you're not the only one, Russ. I mean, I thought, well, I, I would never have been so arrogant as to say I thought I knew the story, but I knew, I knew the, the outline. I knew, you know, the, the bones. But I learned a heck of a lot. You know, there was, there was, I spent a lot of time, um, not just with the players, but also going back to old newspapers. Uh, there's a, um, anyone listening to this, or quite a lot of people listening to this might be aware of a place called The Keep, which is out near Falmer, which is basically where they, they keep the historical records of old Argus's and Brighton and Hove history and things like that and everything. And, uh, I spent a lot of time there going through old newspaper cuttings and whatever. And yeah, it's sheer amount that, that I was just never aware of. And of course, I think the fascinating thing is as well is that is that that's a period when Brighton was starting to change from, you know, the kind of old Brighton Bell image to something mm. that happened, you know, a little bit more, had a little bit more to it. You know, I'm talking about the town, not just the football club. Uh, you know, there was you know, there were things like, for instance, Brighton were, you know, we were we were given the Eurovision Song Contest. That yeah, day. yeah, I didn't know until I yeah. read the book. Yeah. April 1974, you know, Brighton hosts the Eurovision Song Contest, which is the year that famously, you know, ABBA won. So, yeah, when ABBA won with Waterloo, that was at the Brighton Dome. Yeah. So got all of this going on in the background about, you know, it's not only the club waking up, but it's also the, the, the town is kind of getting a little bit more about it. You know, it's not just somewhere you go for tea in the afternoon, you know, or, you know, the mods and rockers fight on the bank holidays. You know, there's something else happening there. and um, I think I was able, hopefully I was able to kind of bring that together about how the town was changing as well at the time. Yeah, um, you did. And also about the, the wider uh, economic picture, because you had the three-day week, it's talking yeah. about that, strikes yeah. and strikes. Um, and, you know, about obviously Clough's own clearly socialist sensibilities and about yeah. the whole sellable print. Again, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about socio-cultural issues within football. Um, that indelible print that was definitely laid on on Clough's persona as a man of the north who was from a very poor background um he appreciated he did a lot of should we say underhanded things in his time read quite yeah, a few on slavery yeah it's however he did have a sense of social background he did do a lot of stuff for charity and things like that you mentioned towards the end of the book um and for people in you know rather uncomfortable positions and you know i think also that links in with the reason or one of the reasons i don't know if we plot spoil it here but the, one of the reasons he signed for the albion obviously is related to that isn't it in terms of his sense of being without the fear of being without um yeah, yeah he would, guaranteed income yeah, he, he he thought he was going to get inundated with job offers after what had happened at derby where he called the manager's bluff there and didn't expect the manager sorry, not the manager, the chairman, to accept his resignation. And the chairman did accept his resignation. Yeah. Uh, and that took him by surprise. And he thought there was going to be other offers of work. And there weren't because mm. an awful lot of chairmen were aware of how much of a bull in the china shop he could be. He had a, 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 an FA hearing hanging over his head for comments that he'd made about Leeds United and Don Reavy and a particularly fiery game that they'd had against Birmingham City where he suggested in a newspaper column that basically Leeds should be booted out of the top mm. flight. So yeah. the FA charged him with disrepute there, and that was hanging over his head. And if that went against him, 
he potentially, worst case scenario, faced three a three year ban out of the game. And there's, you know, so he would he would have had a three year ban out of the game, but he wouldn't have had the security of a job or pay during it because he didn't have a job at the time because Derby had accepted his resignation. So he needed a job to go into this football hearing with. He needed, like, you know, a drowning man was a drowning man. Do you cling to a, a life? You know, you cling to anything, anything that can keep you afloat. And it just so happened that that was. That was bright, bright, you know, Mike Bamber, who was our chairman at the time, had the forethought of mind or whatever. He was a big thinker. He was a dreamer, but, you know, yeah. intention guy. Phoned him and said, what about and we offered, we offered top flight wages, effectively, and yeah. a long contract, five years, wasn't it? He was offered. Yeah, yeah. I think those two it things was, together were obviously attractive. Yeah, yeah, it was basically a, a job, and he had this big thing for us. I mean, he was born in Middlesbrough in the 1930s during the recession. You know the bad recession uh so he knew all about poverty and hard times you know and had seen how difficult you know it was so you know all the way through his life like a lot of people like that if you grow up in hard times or you've known poverty it, it's, it, you know it stays with you you know you might be driving around in a Bentley or a rolls royce or whatever living in a mansion but deep down you're still that person who is watching the money and watching the and he was like that so he needed a job he was he had a fear of unemployment the money, the paycheck was brilliant, and he needed a job before he went into this this FA hearing. And uh, and we came along, and he just he, he went for it. But he was never as all the players know. He was he was never going to stay around. He was, no, I mean, the equally interesting thing is why he went to Leeds. I mean, obviously his hatred of. I mean, it's a little bit of you know, kind of maybe in the sense that he wants to turn Leeds into this right, really you know, lovely play, football playing club rather than the, the kind of maybe slightly dirty team they were seen as in the seventies or whatever. And but it's like an interesting one, considering how, how much a that he criticised them, that a they offered him the job, and b then he took it. Yeah, I mean, but, but that was all fatally flawed as well, because I mean, Leeds when they actually did the press conference in Brighton that day to announce um, the uh, that they, you know, that that Clough was going to become their manager, Leeds were under the impression that they were getting Clough and Taylor, mm. and it was it was seconds. Literally seconds, not minutes, seconds before Clough went into the room to talk to the journalists, that Taylor said on the stairs at the hotel, I'm not coming. And so, you know, that was a shock to Clough. That was a shock to Leeds. And Clough realised, Clough suddenly, that was, that's how sharp the man was. He basically thought, well, hang on a minute, if, if Taylor's not coming, this deal might not go through. But before Leeds could, you know, pull the plug on it, Clough walked into the press conference and in front of the journalist said, gentlemen, I'm not even going to try and do the impression. I can't do it. I love Clough, <laughs> but I can't do it. Um, he basically walked into the press conference and said, gentlemen, you know, meet the future manager of Leeds United. And he did that because he knew that Leeds had got the, the, the shakes because they just realised that Taylor wasn't coming. So, yeah, maybe it was all fatally flawed, even before he'd set foot in Yorkshire mm. because Taylor wasn't going to be there and he needed Taylor with him. He was, as, as you say, Peter, he was, uh, you know, he, he, even when he went to Forest after uh, after Leeds, nothing really happened there for a year. Mm. You know, he was, he was, you know, not really getting anywhere there in the old Division 2. It wasn't until Taylor showed up, they started uh, making headway. Mm. Yeah. yeah, fascinating time. So as, as you say, Russ, I learned a hell of a lot as well. I thought I knew the story and I did to a point, but I learned far more. So, yeah. 
I think it was really, really interesting. I mean, it covers the period just before in the run-up to him coming, and then it goes into the Peter Taylor solo period, doesn't it? And then just into beyond to give it some context. And also yeah. talk yeah. about what Brian Clough and then eventually with Peter Taylor did at Forest. But it's interesting, wow. actually, to speak about his attitude, Stank, in Clough, in terms of his, you know, his, his attendance, uh, his lack of doing anything in the way of input for training, all sorts of other things. Um, he carried that on, didn't he, for a while at Forest. And so I think there's a, there's a quote towards the end of the book where Alan Murray is, uh, is quoted as saying something about um, being baffled by how he managed to actually win them the League, the League Cup, the European Cup, uh, yeah. when still um, showing signs of that bad attitude, even at yeah. Forest. So it yeah. wasn't just yeah, uh, the, Martin in the yeah. South. You couldn't do it now, Russ. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was fa he famously barely trained them. Yeah, you know, it was kind of like it's you know, it was very primitive the way he, yeah. he even yeah. then, even then, because you had just Shankleys and you had managers like that who were huge names who would go through the proper processes. So the fact that he achieved yeah. it, I have to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, it, could, it was very different ways, but I mean, a lot, you know, the Shankleys of this world, I mean, basically, you know, to play for them, you had to be fit. You know, yeah. they would. You know, it, it might be very different training techniques, but they would still have you out running the roads and running the mountains, and you know, mm. working hard to get in, in shape. With Clough, that didn't always really happen, mm. but it worked to a point. It didn't always work though, and I think yeah. that's the thing. You know, we let we let the the, the memories of what he did achieve mm. kind of you know uh, cloud what what didn't come up, such as Brighton, but. But that was, in many ways, that was the strangest thing about writing that book, because like so many people, I've got so much time for a club. I mean, we moan that you know, football's a little bit anodyne, and we need characters in the game, and oh, you know, they didn't come any bigger than him. And I, yeah. I you know, some of my earliest, earliest memories and stuff were of, uh, you know, I, I love watching that, you know, that, that Nottingham Forest team that were like the late 70s, you know, my earliest football memories of watching that. So to actually write a book which... I try and be balanced and I try and bring the, you know, the, um, the impartial kind of journalistic eye to it and report the events. But, you know, a couple of people have said it's a bit of a hatchet job and it is, unfortunately, but that's the way it is. He didn't want to be there. The players didn't really want him there. Yeah. Some of them were, you know, very, very pleased to work under him and it was great and it was exciting. And he was very different with the younger players at Brighton than he was from the older players. He seemed to be very encouraging of you know some of the younger players, um, uh, who he felt maybe he could mould a little bit and have an effect yeah. on. But if you were twenty five or over, that was it. He, did, he, he didn't want you about. He didn't want. Any, he didn't want anything to do with yeah, you. I mean, he, counties in this world and stuff like that. Well, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of stories to making him play when he wasn't fit and things like that. Yeah. But I mean, the other thing, in fact, speaking about injuries, that was the other key feature I felt from the book was interesting. He had his career ended age 29, didn't he, with a serious injury. And yeah. his relationship with other players who had similar scenarios happening was rather ambiguous and surprising, I thought. Yeah. Um, he said, it's almost as if I've had my career ended by this, so you should just man up with something that you can probably get some serious injury, that long-term damage with, that you can play on that. Well, you know, I mean, it, it goes right the way through, you know, kind of even many, many years later, I mean, I mean, perhaps rather odd psychological kind of profile you know reared its ugly head when um when brighton were going for the cup final in 1983 mm. this is you know so this is 10 years after he'd, he'd been brighton it's about to ward yeah i yeah. mean ward you know came from came back to brighton on loan 
Nottingham Forest, and he played. He certainly he, he played in the third round and scored the winner in the replay at Newcastle. Pretty sure he played in the Manchester City fourth round game. He certainly played at Liverpool. He wanted to kind of stay on, and um, Clough wasn't happening. And according to Ward, the uh, again I won't try and do the Clough in, impersonation, but apparently what Clough told him was, "Young man, I never got to play in a cup final. Neither will you." Yeah, which is and um, and yeah, I mean that's you know Ward, Ward does it a far better impersonation of them, <laughs> and that was that. And the ridiculous yeah. thing was, Peter then ended up watching the cup final from um, Washington State. He was back in Seattle by then, so he, he got to watch it. You know, yeah, yeah, and it's just like so he you know. So he had that spiteful edge. I mean, it's a very right. quote line and everything, but ultimately it could be pretty spiteful. There was a story about Ian Goodwin. Um, wanting to play a non-league game. There was about a testimonial um, yeah. and, and some pretty horrible moments. Yeah. I mean, I do think you did get the balance though as well because I think you did show the other side of him. I think you could, you yeah. could show where he came from and you could understand where some of his sensibilities came from. But and also a lot of the great managers do have that edge in a way, don't they? I mean, not all of well, them, but I think a lot of them do. Absolutely. I, I, think, I, think, I think there's having an edge, but as, as Russ alludes to, it, it's it's there's actually having a nasty, you know, mm. not ruthless, we're talking about, That's which, nasty. Yeah, you know, to be a manager, but a real nasty streak, you know, yeah. which which is the kind of thing that can seriously mess mentally with somebody. Yeah. And I think um, psychologically, I mean, you, we've, um, one of the people you interview amongst many in the book is Peter O'Sullivan. And I noticed on two occasions, he mentions Mourinho as the nearest comparison in the modern mm. day. And I don't think there's many people like Mourinho now, um, in, in essence anyway um, but Mourinho has got a, some similar traits he's got this thing of bouncing the opposite way so if you've had a good result he'll he'll try and lower the expectations with his comments if you've done well he'll he'll, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll put it the other way well, Harry, he, yeah Harry Wilson Harry Wilson Brighton's left back then who um, yeah. Cluffy signed him from Burnley Burnley yeah and uh, well Clough and Taylor signed him from Burnley and he used to do that with, with Harry if, if Harry had had a good match Clough would hammer him and say he was the worst left back he'd ever seen. Yeah. If Harry had had a bad match, Clough would say, that's the best performance I've seen in ages. Well done, son. And it was like, he said it worked with me because it kept me on my toes. But if you always um, do it, though, doesn't it undermine it? Because they, they just don't, you ignore it almost if you kind of, it's funny, isn't yeah. it? Because yeah. Also, it's quite differently for some people, isn't it? One yeah. person. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting. I mean, I remember talking to Harry Wilson many years ago about Clough and and Harry was um, was yeah, he's saying he was an odd man, he was strange, and he was well. But you know, I remember that the line the, the line he used was he was on a different level or whatever or something. Now, by the time I came to speak to him for the book, he, his attitude had changed a bit and had hardened. And he said, you know, he, he said he was a bully. He said he was a nasty piece of work. He said, you know, it's. I think maybe, you know, he'd had time to reflect a little bit more and think, you know what, you're not maybe all that you were cracked up to be. Um, and as I said, I mean, that's that's one of the things I think that maybe, you know, I, I mean, most of the books about Clough or, you know, it's, they put him on a pedestal. Um, and you can't take away what he did achieve. But I think this is the one book that came out. And I didn't set out to do it because, as I said, I, I you know, I, I admire his achievements. But it's the one book where basically he doesn't come out with it with an awful lot of, yeah but I know, certainly think it was a, a story 
Yeah, uh, certainly a story that needed to be told, I think. Um, I'm glad yeah. you filled the gap. It's a really enjoyable read, and um, I highly recommend it. Again, it's Spencer Vignes' Bloody Southerners, uh, Clough and Taylor's Brighton and Hove Odyssey, to give it its full title. Um, worth checking out. I'm pretty sure it's available in all good bookshops, isn't it? Or, or orderable. Uh, yeah, all good bookshops when they are open. Yeah, when, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, you can pretty much get it anywhere, and um, if you have trouble getting it... Um, uh, drop me a, um, uh, an email or contact me through my website uh, spencervignus.co.uk and uh, I can sort you out, I can help you Great stuff, I thoroughly recommend it honestly, very good, very good book Okay, well that's the end of part one of episode 34, we'll be back shortly after a little bit of a break where we're going to just quickly touch on a couple of the topical issues of this week and we've got the quiz, stay tuned <laughs> Okay, welcome back to part two of the BRP, episode 34, with Peter, me, and Spencer. We're going to move on to topical debates this week, very briefly. We won't stop and dwell on this too much, but there's been a lot less news than there has been in the last couple of weeks. However, a couple of big bits. Um, behind closed doors has been a big debate, and they're talking about doing that now with neutral venues. Well, Jamie Redknapp this week um, talked about some players being fantastic in training all week, and then nervous of crowds to the extent that they regularly underperformed. In your conversations with various players, Spencer, um, did this matter ever come up with you? Is this a, a pertinent point, first of all? What, being nervous in front of crowds? Yeah. No, <laughs> being, because that's no. part and parcel of the game, isn't it? You've got to go yeah. out and you've got to, you know, it's, it's no, it's... I've, I've heard of players who are used to playing in front of small crowds, and then, of course, you go away for your first big cup tie or whatever and there's 20 30 000 people there and it's it's a little bit like you know but no not really it's part yeah. of the game i know. also think it's worth flagging that if the tra being good in training doesn't really mean you'll be good in a game behind closed doors that's worth 100 million pounds because you're trying to stay up in the premier league it's not quite the same thing is it it's like it's not just the, the crowd bit it's also the pressure of the actual game yeah look i mean i mean my opinion about this whole business is you know we can't restart. Mm. I, I just can't see. Well, I mean, I know why it's happening, and that is the, the financial implications of not fulfilling the season and what it's going to mean to the Premier League and the money people and whatever and stuff. But I just can't see how it can happen. I mean, and we've, I know we're into uncharted territory here, and I, I you know, you don't want to blame anyone, but I, I, I would just err on the side of caution mm. uh, and just see, look, let's just. Put people's health first let's put the players welfare first as well i mean brighton have got a situation where i'm pretty sure matty ryan's still out in australia isn't he yeah well i know so you know is he going to really want to come back you know our players you know a lot a lot of teams in the premier league are in exactly the same boat on the championship you know their players are dispersed all around the world because they went home you've got players who aren't match fit there's one thing when you're yeah. training on your own or training you know alone at, at your training you know your, 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 your grounds but you know it's 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 like for instance if this was going into a new season which it pretty much is going to be the equivalent of you know you need pre-season friendlies you need to build yourself up you need to get your stamina yeah. back professional athletes they're the same as us my word you know uh, I mean, when I used to kind of lope around various tennis courts and five-side football pitches, if you didn't play for three or four weeks, you'd feel it a bit when you came back. But professional athletes are the same in that although they, their base level of fitness is good, 
it takes mm. them a while to get back up to fighting weight, fighting speed, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And we're going to need that time. We can't just rush it back. But of course, the problem now is that is that once, you know, of course, as soon as, and this is what I thought, as soon as basically Euro 2020 got moved to Euro 2021, um, we've got to start the season at some point, really, by the end of August. Mm. And that's going to be later, probably three weeks later than it should have started anyway. So, you know, there's the powder keg of next season where, you know, if you've got promotion relegation as well, teams are going to say, well, it was unfair this season because we were asked to be playing kind of, you know, it's going to be like the Premier League will be more like the Championship with teams playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, yeah. Wednesday, Saturday, you know, or Sunday, you know, or, or, or Monday, Thursday and whatever. And what you do with the Championship, then on top of that, obviously, who are going to yeah. play even more games. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it, it's like, it, it's just going to, you know, so so there's going to be that, you know, it's, it's people are going to be saying, well, it's not a level playing field because if you've got a huge talented, you know, squad that can do that, then you're going to benefit. Whereas if you're a, a Burnley or a Brighton or whatever, that might be, a, you know, a little bit yeah. harder. Yeah. I was going to say the proposals about substitutes, having five substitutes. Well, if you've got a strong squad, then those five substitutes you can use rather than three is going to give you a greater yeah. advantage as well, isn't it? I mean, I mean, my, my I, you know, I, I know we've got to look at ways to get out of this and ways around it and stuff like that. But I mean, I think when you start talking about having multiple substitutes, neutral venues, not tackling each other is something mm. I've heard. The fact when you start talking about all of this, it's like, well, you know, these are all reasons why this shouldn't yeah. happen. Gordon Taylor was suggesting less than 90 minutes recently as well. It was another yeah. one that was... Well, yeah, I know. But, to, to, well, to be fair, when he was coming out with that, I was like, hey. And um, <laughs> from what I can gather, an awful lot of uh, Premier League chief executives, that was the first they'd heard about it as well. Yeah. So I think maybe whether he'd just been talking off the top of his head, I really don't know. I'm not sure. But that claim was news to quite a lot of people. You, you're also on, on top of what everything you said, which is enough reason already. You've got the contractual loan issues as well. That you know, there's a players like you know, it's quite well known players out of contract. Some of David Silver is leaving Man City, so they won't have him for the rest of the campaign potentially if he decides not to renew. Yeah. William, I think, is leaving, supposed to be leaving Chelsea, and so does he want to renew and potentially lose out on another deal somewhere else if he if he gets injured? I, probably mm. not, to be honest. It's the, uh, I, it's it's an I, it, it is it is odd, and I mean. You know, it's part of my livelihood as well because I write about this. But I've got to be honest, it's not top of my list of priorities no. at the moment. Top of my no. list of priorities are my my partner, Jane, who's got a condition where she has to take, you know, um, uh, prescription drugs basically to keep her alive. So it's it's her health and safety. It's my, my, my son, my daughter. Same as you guys. Same mm. as everybody. Really. Same as footballers I mean, as well. I mean, as much yeah, as they might have a lot more exactly, money than most of us. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, I mean, the only reason that this is being all debated is because of the financial bits. Yeah, of it, yeah. Know, and that's why. Plain and simple, yeah. And the more that's at stake, you know, with all the leagues, the, the richer the leagues around Europe, then the, the messier it's going to yeah. be. Yeah, it's money, it's money and trophies as well. Obviously, Liverpool wants yeah. to desperately just Which, want to win at all costs. Yeah. Course, you know, if you look at the, the fans online moaning about stuff, it's like Liverpool, Leeds mm. and teams who are mid-table often like Burnley and Palace who've got nothing to lose really by playing as a club yeah. and need I mean, the money from the, third, from the extra TV money. Yeah. And I, I, do, I do feel for them, you know, it is. I mean, you know, if you're a Liverpool fan, well, 
you know, crikey, you know, it's, it's, it, it's not good. You know, it, is, it does almost seem like you're a little bit cursed. Leeds in particular as well. But, hey, you know what? When football does eventually resume, at least Leeds and Liverpool will still be in a position yeah. financially to continue. I'm not sure whether the Newports of this world and the Cheltenham towns and the Exeter cities and whatever will be. You know, there's going to be some clubs which, when we start up again, might be missing. Now, those are the ones I feel really, really sorry for. Mm. Not the ones at the top of the food chain who might just be throwing the toys out of the pram because they haven't got a, a you know, a, a pot of silver that season or, you know, to show for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a mess, isn't it? It's difficult. It's get yeah. it, unfortunately. The, the word that keeps coming up is integrity, integrity of the competition. And I think it's compromised whatever you do if you try to carry on, except for a possibility of just resuming many months down the line when it's properly safe to do so but even then you've obviously got some differences to do with play who's under contract and who's not yeah. different players for a different season and the the big issue this week was neutral venues that came up Albion as they have been for a number of weeks now Paul Barber namely has been giving weekly press conferences which I don't think anyone else has done yeah. to the degree he has fair play to him and yeah. he's been saying um, that the Albion are against it as appears to be the case for all of the bottom six clubs um, it seems that the other 14 are happy to go ahead. Not That's you. not what I've heard. There's at least two mid-table teams who aren't, from what I've heard. Yeah, there's been amb- ambiguous reporting yeah. now, hasn't there? It seems to be variable. It, it seems, also- it's, a, it's a good story to blame the bottom six because they're all worried about relegation. But yeah. actually, the reality is that I think more than six are apparently yeah. are against it. Albion, Albion, I, mean, I think, very good is, with all coverage. And now yeah, that's, that, I mean, that's skewed as well because, I mean, you know, even teams in the middle... You know, they've got the reason they're probably all right with going along with neutral venues are that they've got nothing riding on it mm-hmm. other than facing. Obviously, where you finish now in the Premier League, you know, you get more money for the further up you you, you are, but at least you're you're secure and your place in the top flight is secure for another season. Um, the problem is, of course, in the bottom six. You know, I mean, for for a club like Brighton, I get the feeling even you know what, even if even if even if we were ninth or tenth say, for instance, we would still be against this because mm. traditionally in the top flight, our, our form has always been built around home form. We, since, you know, since we went back up to the top flight, we, ha- we haven't been good away from home, you know, to yeah. say the least. So I think even, for instance, if we had outstanding home form and a week away form and we were ninth in the league, we would still be against neutral venues. I was working it out yesterday. I think we've got 10 more home wins and away wins in one less game. It's to be back in the Premier League. Um, I think yeah. it's like 17 to 7 or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, and effectively play, then playing all games away. And it does matter for like people are saying, oh, man, you and Arsenal, well, you know, they beat you anyway. It's like, well, no, they haven't done at home. We've, we've yeah. beaten United twice at home. Arsenal, we've beaten and drawn yeah. with at home. And yet yeah. then we're playing at a neutral venue. We've got so much less chance. I know we won at Arsenal in December, but it's it just... There is a point of smaller nuances as well, and not having to travel, knowing the pitch, the mm. dimensions, the, the feel of the grass, especially for, mm. Paul Barber said, we've, we've got our training grounds equipped to exactly mirror the, the Amex mm. Stadium pitch. Um, dimensions, the little, little focal points that maybe people use as a reference to play a good diag. Lewis Dunk's very good on his long-range dykes, for example. Is there a focal point that he, he hones in on to make those passes? Small little things like that. There could be loads of small bits and pieces to feel yeah. at home. The ridiculous thing is, is you know, he, he, certain people, you know, I, I know you've kind of got to try and plan ahead. Mm. And people, you know, it's their jobs and they, you, you've got to come up with, you know, uh, 
you know, a sort of way forward or a plan to try and take things forward. But I mean, say for instance, you know, uh, they say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna start. What is it? The 10th of May now. Say we're gonna start on the 10th of June. Say for instance, in the week before 10th of June, there's another spike or another flare up or something, mm. you know, and uh, and we see the the the, the numbers of people um, dying, you know, going up again. I mean, there's still, I, you know, all this week, I mean, you're still talking five, you're going to 500 deaths, mm. 600 deaths, 500 back up to 600. Why the hell, why the hell are we talking about resuming this season? Yeah. yeah. When, uh, well, Germany, you know, ironically, they've had exactly what you said, because... I mean, it's just undignified. It's yeah. just, I you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not accusing Paul Barber or anyone at Albion of doing this. No, it's, it's, it's not at all. But I just don't think... I don't, I don't, you know, while, while, you know, thousands of people are, and thousands and thousands are going to be left bereaved. You know, there's an awful lot of people, you know, every night who are going to bed having lost loved ones, hundreds of loved ones every day. Why are we talking about football at this kind yeah. of time? It doesn't matter, you know, really. And exactly the same as what you're saying has happened in Germany, where they've loosened lockdown and um, talked about the Bundesliga came back and a whole t- has it, a Dynamo Dresden have all gone into uh, isolation for 14 days yeah. having a few yeah. of them test positive and okay. also they've now got a, a bit of a spike again in um, cases and what yeah. you've so, got to remember as well with Germany is Germany handled this a whole lot yeah. better in the very yeah. early stages of this you know yeah. they've they've you know they've done all they can and, and the, I'm not sure what the exact death toll is in Germany but I know for certain it's a hell of a lot you know their yeah. statistics are uh, make far better reading than our mm. utter, utter kind of mess that we've got ourselves into. I think, you know, there's one thing for Germany to be looking to do it behind closed doors, yeah. but I, I mean, in the in the crazy situation we are, where it's, you know, 25,000, 26, 27, 28, mm. 29, 30, 31, 30, it's, it's, it's yeah. you know, no. But even they may not be able to in the end if it, you know, one team kind of in isolation and if cases yeah. do continue to rise again as another yeah. spike, then that so won't if even... Germany, if Germany are facing issues like this, yeah. with the relatively kind of, you know, good situation that they did and the way that they, they handled this, I mean, what hope do we have, really? Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't at least try to look for ways forward. But I don't think we can set them in concrete in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. No. And I don't think changing the rules is a fair way to finish the season. You know, you you play one no. way. I, I feel actually the worst worse off will be Villa because they've got ten games left because they've got a game in hand, and six of those are at home. So if you play at neutral venues, they lose out on two two home games basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, it's it's it's. I just don't think it should be happening. No, I just you know it's it's i've i thought this for for a few, a few weeks actually now that yeah. i can't see any way out of this well, well russell now. back me up i've been saying from the start almost that we should be cancelling this season it's not hmm. yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, as you say it's not a priority it's not no it's, football is football is what brings us together and it, it, it's important in terms of the you know it's it's what's important is the the fact that our clubs come through this and are still mm. there at the end of it whether that's in the summer, whether that's the end of the year, whether that's next year, it's keeping the clubs alive and afloat. It's not finishing this season. It's making yeah. sure that, you know, as, as I said, I mean, my, my real fears regarding this are with the Cheltenham's, are with mm. the, you know, the kind of uh, the Newports of this world, you know, they're with the smaller clubs because, you know, and in the conference as well. Yeah, uh, yeah they've, they've already obviously voted to stop from five, level five down. 
But and it, look, it sounds like. I mean, from from what I can gather, you know, hearing, you know, I, I used to do a lot of work with the regional press, and I know a lot of their sports editors. And it's not looking good for some of them. Mm. I mean, there's clubs that Brighton have played, you know, in the pretty recent past, actually, aren't going to survive this. Well, I mean, you're thinking if we'd happened to us in the you know, middle of the Withdean years or whatever, and we were losing yeah. so much money, and we wouldn't have yeah. a tech, you know, wouldn't have any sort of crowd money or anything like that, I no, fear what would happen to Albion. Yeah, and yeah, really, it just boils down to kind of good luck whether you've got, you yeah. know, a chairman and, and, a, and a council who might support you and things like that. Uh, yeah. If you have. And in the later years, probably Tony Bloom would have stepped in even if he wasn't, even if it was still Dick Knight as chairman, he'd have stepped in early and had to but yeah earlier on it, who knows what had happened but a lot of i mean we we we've, we've been speaking earlier haven't we um, uh, on our marathon talking session today uh, about um, you know having soft spots for other clubs you know yeah we're we're brighton fans but i mean you know it's, i've got soft spots you know for a lot of different clubs and uh, we all know supporters of other teams and we all want those other teams to survive this and to try and come through and that should be our priority at the moment um, yeah. you know from a from a sporting sense i mean obviously our priority should be you know health and safety yeah. first i think yeah. everyone would agree with that but the main priority from a sporting point of view is let's make sure we all come through this together you know it's yeah. not like you, know, you, yeah. you don't want the situation because at the moment it's all appearing to be a little bit like like the Titanic going down, it's every man, you know, it's if you're wealthy enough to be able to kind of buy your way onto a life raft, then you're all right and you're going to get away. Mm. But if you're third class and you're Newport County or Cheltenham or whatever, tough luck, you're in steerage, you're going to go down with the ship. Mm. I don't like that. I don't like that. No. And I, as, 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 you know, as, as part of the football family and a supporter of that, we should, uh, we should look after each other at this point and not, uh, not worry about. Who finishes eighth or yeah. third or whatever, or you know. Very well, said. I agree. I mean, the Bundesliga is set to start this coming weekend, Saturday, 16th weekend. We'll wait and see what happens, A, if that does happen, and B, yeah. what the English authorities think of that, should it go yeah. ahead, but we'll find out. Um, one final thing on a slightly lighter note, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but over the last week or so, our old friends, Crystal Palace, or Cripple Palace as I like to call them, um, are claiming now to be the oldest professional club um, following a revelation that an earlier incarnation of the club, or I, I think it had similar or the same name, that was founded in 1861, doesn't appear to have ever been formally disbanded, despite a 19-year gap at some point before the new Crystal Palace started playing in 1905. So well, the came... way in 2010 it started then. <laughs> exactly. Well, the I mean, 1905, obviously, Crystal Palace, we know it was, was formed. Um, but yeah, 1861, there was an earlier club that folded presumably 19 years before 1905. Um, so in the late part of the century. And um, apparently they, they weren't formally wound down. So there's Palace fans now saying they're the oldest professional club, not overall, but professional, um, ousting Notts County. Um, they don't expect themselves that it's going to get ratified formally by the FA or any other authorities. Um, bless their cotton socks. They're really bubbling about this one. What do you think, guys? <laughs> well, I, uh, if it's true, good luck to them. But, I mean, lots of clubs were all born out of the ashes of other previous teams, weren't they? Manchester mm. United weren't originally Manchester United. Neither were Manchester City. Neither were, neither were we. What were yeah. we? Brighton, Brighton United, weren't we? And Rangers. Yeah. I don't know. And Rangers. Yeah. Villa was Villa was small was Villa small Heath and United Newton Heath or vice versa or 
Yeah, no, that way. That way around. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And I think Manchester City were Gorton, I think. Might have been right. I'm not sure. Might have been making that up. I don't know. But, yeah, everyone can, like, look back through the family tree and kind of try and go another mm. step further, can't they? Mm. Oh, fair play to Palace, whatever. For uh, <laughs> for an interesting story, I'll give them that. Well, it's a bit better than myth-making assertions that we don't have any fans apart from our plastics and yeah. Londoners by the sea and all that sort of thing, I suppose. At least they're, uh, they're just trying to big themselves up this time, which is good. <laughs> good fun. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I don't think it'll get ratified, but no. nonetheless, Notts County will still be calling themselves the oldest, won't they? Yeah, it's, um, all, yeah. it's, it's still Notts County in my book. Yeah. 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 In another in another world, um, Juventus will be wearing red and blue to copy Palace's shirt rather than uh, <laughs> to copy uh, Notts County's shirt. Uh, no. The only thing, the, the thing I'll say about Palace is it's, it's it's a funny one. Yeah, you know, I I still get hot under the collar about them and ah, Palace, but you know, I'd miss them if they weren't there. And yeah. I remember a lot of them saying the same thing about us during our really really bad yeah. years. It's like, look, you know, we don't like you, but if you weren't there. We would miss you because you wouldn't be there to not like. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things about football is the derby games and that sort of thing. That's how I feel about you know Crystal Palace. Really, it's uh, yeah. they make life interesting. Yeah. It's it's all a bit of fun ultimately, isn't it? Pantomime villainy. People yeah. say, oh, "And get the derby." We don't care. We we understand it. They understand it. You can call it what you want. It's taken the media quite a long time for the penny to drop. Who cares? For anyone even, even they get it wrong, all this M23 derby and oh. stuff like that. It's like, well, the M23 doesn't go to Croydon. The M23 doesn't go to Brighton. So, Other know, than that, though, it's completely it's correct. A23, you might be right. Yeah, and stuff like exactly. that. But, oh, it's just blown yeah. 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 The A23, I think that would be okay. But anyway, there we are. Right, on to business, end of things. We conclude this episode and our lovely chat with you, Spencer, with the quiz. Are you ready, sir? Oh, 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 I forgot. I hope you forget. Go on, then. <laughs> no, I'm going to forget. Let's see how you do. We've had five or six people on it so far. Um, 11 downwards is most of the scores, but we have had Robin, one of our previous uh, contestants, got 14 out of 15. Essentially, it's right. football knowledge. A couple of Albion uh, questions in there amongst them. The last bit is a who am I thing with scores ranging from five to zero, depending how quickly you oh. get it. That's the general format. Right. Ready well, to go? I'll do, I'll do appallingly, basically. But yeah, all right, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. There you go. Well, good luck. Here we go. Question one. Which season right. was last to use two points for a win system in English professional football? 1980-81. Correct. One out of one. Good start. He's off the mark yeah. already. <laughs> right, question two. Which English pro team, other than Manchester United, are nicknamed the Red Devils? Uh, so to the PFL team, also called the Red Devils. I don't know how long their nickname lasts, but they are actually an older club than Manchester United, interestingly. Are they older than Crystal Palace, though? <laughs> Definitely older than the oh, official. I'll probably get them. I'm trying to think. There's the oh, Red, De- Red Devils. Red Devils. It might be closer to home than you think. That's my only clue on that one. As in closer. Well, I mean, I mean, what I was, I, I was wondering if it was Salford, but um, but I'm not sure. So, but they're a new club, so it can't be them if they were the oldest. Red Devils. Red Devils, Red Devils. I'm going to say Salford, but I think I'm wrong on that. Go on. You are wrong, unfortunately. Yes, it's Crawley Town. 
Oh shit! Of course it is. Excuse me, I just, I just swore. <laughs> no, that's fine. We we can allow swearing. But that's the thing. I'm so, I'm so, I'm sorry. I still I'm talk about looking to the past. I'm living, you know, coming from the kind of one team in Sussex thing. I still yeah, can't think about Crawley being. I'm sure any random Crawley fans listening will be delighted. With I'm sure there are thousands, <laughs> thousands of them around. <laughs> I'm very, very no, no. It's not that I, not that I dislike. Yeah, it's they still. There's certain clubs that I, I yeah, I like. It's great, but I just don't, I don't think of them as football league. Of course, it's, it's like a, it's kind of a blind spot sort of thing, isn't it, for some people? I think because well, they came I, up. Look, I, I apologise to Crawley. I mean, they were the closest, or would be, if I was still living in Horsham, Warren, and that neck of the woods. They would be the closest to where I am. But. Um, yeah. 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 No, forgive me, Crawley fans. Sorry about that. Good it's question. all right. I'm yeah. pretty sure they're not listening, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> okay, question three then. Who play their home games at Blundell Park? Uh, Grimsby. Yep, correct. Two out of three. On to question four. Which goalkeeper, I think you'll get this one, which goalkeeper holds the record for the number of Albion appearances in all competitions? I'm pretty sure you're going to get this one. Brian Powney. It is indeed, yes. You mentioned it in your book. <laughs> well, see funny, how many did Michel Kuypers had? Because he seemed to um, be, I wondered at one point yeah. whether he would catch him up. We had him on um, just yeah. a week or two. Actually, he, Wikipedia says, I think, something like 247. And he corrected it and said, oh, you've been reading Wikipedia, haven't you? He said it's 280. Oh. I think Wikipedia only mentions league games in their intro. intro. Yep. But I think I was reading one or two things, so that's probably league games that you were two forty-five. Michelle, you, you just think it's got to be more than that. But um, yeah. he had no, quite a few long-term injuries, didn't he? About three long-term injuries. Yeah, you're years. right. You're right. He missed a couple of half seasons, and his, his Pownie had his injuries as well. I mean, Pownie was out of the game at twenty-nine. Yeah. Yeah, and he had what was it, three hundred and ninety-one, was it, or something like that, wasn't it? So three hundred, I think it was something along those lines. Three hundred eighty-six rings a bell. Where's Tim Carter when you need him? Um, <laughs> he's the authority on everything to do with the Albion. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think Brian Powney's record will ever be beaten. No, no, probably not. No, not now. in the days where now being not many players. I know, obviously, like you know, reach that sort of level. I'm playing days. the cup games. If you if you're mm. a first team goalie now, you don't play the cup games, do you? Really, mm. until the yeah. last stage. Right, you're on three out of four. Let's move on with question five, Spencer. Let me uh, just, just stay at three out of four. I'll be quite happy with three <laughs> out of four. You're doing all right. Good. So far, so oh. good. Right, question five. Who are the be- who, who have been the runners-up the most times in World Cups? You could probably have an educated guess, even if you don't know this one. So it's um, the most runners-up statuses mm, World Cups. You know what? This rings a bell from a uh, quiz I was doing months ago. I've got a feeling that <laughs> I got it wrong then as well because I was something wanted to say Holland. Something in me wanted to say Holland, and I remember I think it was wrong. Well, it's it's going to be one of about five, isn't it? It's either going to be Holland, Italy, West Germany. It's not going to be Brazil because they always win it. <laughs> Argentina always win it when they're in the final. Holland. Holland is unfortunately not correct. It was West Germany. Oh, Bolton. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I knew it was going to be one of, yeah, it was, yeah. Anyway, there you go. West Germany. I'll have to write that down. West Germany. Yeah, West Germany. I think possibly slash Germany, but I think it's all as West Germany. Yeah. But um, yeah, apparently so. That is a good stat, that. And I, would, I wouldn't I would have gone for Germany, even though they're often in the finals. They normally tend to mm. win, don't they? 
Yeah, true. Well, good news for our quiz leader, Robin. His his lead is intact because you've got three out of five. So he can relax. Um, But you can't yet because we've got a few more. Here we go. Mm -hmm. How many league titles have Sunderland won? Is it two, four or six? Uh... It's a few, but it's a long time ago. Yeah, that's right. It's your multiple voice, at least. So um, four or six? I'll go for six. Spot on, sir. You are yeah. correct. Excellent. Yeah, I thought it was. They've got a bit more than a lot of people think, but um, again, as you said... Well, they they were, yeah, I mean, they were a real strength kind of, you know, towards the end of the 19th century, beginning of the, well, beginning of the 20th century. You know, they're a remarkable team then. Uh, hmm. Yeah, kind of, you know, um, yeah, yeah, remarkable. And often a hell of a lot of Scots players, obviously not far from the Scottish border and stuff like that, but um, yeah, true. I, think, yeah. I think they pretty much have the Scots international team playing for them as well. <laughs> Definitely, very well supported too. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Moving right, on. on so you've got four out of six. Right. Next up, who were the first team not called Real Madrid to win the European Cup? So who wrestled that? What was it? Five years in a row, crown, wasn't it for Real? I think. Who was the next team to win? It's one of those that's not the most dominant of names in European Cup history. It's a famous name, but it's not a it's not the most dominant. Let's see if I'll give you another clue. I'm trying to think of one that's not too giveaway. So who oh, were the first not, not, not called Real to win the European Cup? It's not it's not another Spanish team if that helps. Um, we are thinking Latin Europe. Yeah, I was thinking Italy. And, uh, yeah, I was I'm going down the Italian route, but I'm not sure which one I'll go for Juventus. Well, that's a decent effort. Um, I think they might be the team that's lost the most, actually, finals, um, Juventus. Uh, but it, the answer was Benfica, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Was, yeah. You, was that when you say yeah. you played for them in those days? Yeah, must have been, yeah. Because you had them and they had Stefano for Real. Blimey, some good players around there, wasn't there? Um, but oh. yeah, it was Benfica. Yeah, yeah. It may have been their only win, actually. I'm not sure. I haven't checked that. Uh, but there we go. Okay, moving good, on. Good question, Matt. Yeah, you've got some good questions here. I like these. Oh, good, good. Excellent. What's education? I'm learning. I'm, I'm always, I've never pretended to be a kind of quiz champion. I always like things where basically you come away at the end thinking, oh, I never knew that. And I've come away <laughs> knowing an awful lot of that. It's like Benfica, Christ. Yeah, yeah, Christ. yeah. Look, here's the, the big biro in my hand. Benfica. Yeah. Right here. Go on. Right, next one. It's got a little bit of an Albion theme, this one. Um... Well, it is an Albion team. Uh, which Dutch team did former Albion player and manager Dean Wilkins once turn out for? In fact, I think we signed him back from this club. It's so, Boro, which du- isn't it? I don't. I can't say it properly. Yeah, I, I don't know how to say Boro. it exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Z W O L E or however you. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the ones. Absolutely. Spot on. Yep. Correct. Five out of eight. On to question nine. Which two players jointly hold the record for the most goals scored in the Scottish national team? So we're looking for, we need both names to get the points. So which two players jointly hold? Sorry? Kenny Dalgleish. Yeah, Kenny Dalgleish is one of them. Yeah. Can you get the other? It's another famous name. Sorry? Kenny Miller. 
It's not, no, no. Is that oh, your final? Really? Yeah. Do we give you another chance? I'll give, I'll give you one more shot at this one. Right, okay. So you've got well, it must be very recent, I think, because I always seem to remember Dalgleish holding the record. But hmm. I can't think of anybody who scored prolifically for Scotland for flipping years. Um, give us a clue. Um, it's not... It's, ooh, that might be a big clue. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, no, maybe, maybe It not. was worth asking. All right, was it a Scottish team or English team? Um, he's famous playing for a, for an English team, one in particular, not too oh, far. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh no! Oh, if he's played for an English team, one in particular, that's not the one I was thinking of. It's not too far from Kenny Dalglish's. Uh, well, I was going to say. Well, I was going to possibly say Ali McCoy, but I think I'm wrong about that. I, I was well. thinking of him, but I think yeah. I might know it now. So I didn't look down the answers that far. They, do you give up on any other guesses yeah, then? Go on, go on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Peter, go on tell me. Did you it's know not Graham Peter? Sharp, is it? It's not him either. No, it's, it's Dennis not, Law. It's Dennis yeah. Law. Yeah. Oh, so of course it go. is, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realise he'd have that many, but yeah. That is very I th- interesting because I, I thought Dalgleish had eclipsed the record. I thought he was the record holder. And so, anyway, that's good. Dennis Law, quite yeah. Right. Okay. Well, on to the next one. It's God, the missing link round. Here, aren't you? <laughs> well, you've got I better, go, I better go back to my tennis and write about my beloved tennis now. But if you, if you get double figures, you'll be in the top half. And you've you've got five so far. There's still technically six points to play for. So we'll see how you do. Missing link rounds. So can you fill in the blank here? So QPR, Norwich, Hull City, Huddersfield Town, Fulham, Blank, and Aston Villa. So it's a sequence in order. Um, QPR, Norwich. Say that again. Yeah. And then it's yeah. Hull, Huddersfield. Hang on. Hull, Huddersfield. Yeah. yeah. Then Fulham. Then yeah. Fulham. It's a, and then a blank. That's the one we want to get. And then it's Aston yeah. Villa most recently. So what is the... Well, you might be able to work out the link or not, but the answer is, um, so who is the missing team? I think it's playoff finalists. Winners, yeah. Joe, you know what? I was thinking you've you've missed off the you've missed the gap out, haven't you? The gap's yeah. not the gap's not there. I've actually made a call. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, yeah. I've just realised I've read out the answer as well. That was a bit of a cock up. I put in capitals to. But he got him. the he got the reason though, so no, he can pretty award the I'm point on, there. I, I am, to be fair, I am onto that one. I'm, I'm yeah. There. I think oh, that's the yeah. point because he, he worked yeah. out what they were. Yeah. Give no, it a Half of the Scottish one, right? We'll give you the point anyway. So, okay. Well, it, yeah, yeah. I was, it, it was, yeah. Hand, really hand on heart, honestly, my, yeah. my brain was already clicking into this game. I was yeah. thinking, like, yeah. Fuller and Villa were like after us. So, who was, yeah. where was the gap there? Yeah. <laughs> yes, whoops. But anyway, there we go. We're on to six points. Right, we come to the final bit, and it is the Who Am I round. You could get anything up to five points, depending on how quickly you can get this. You've got one guess per clue. So, let's see if you can get it on the first clue, Spencer. Here we go. Um, you might be able to as well. It's a doable one. I am a 59-year-old retired professional footballer from Argentina. Oh. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Five points. Boom, boom, boom. Up to 11. Right. Excellent. Yeah, you've got it on the first go. It is indeed Maradona. He's 59. And uh, I don't know if you would have got it on the other clues. Just to quickly go through. The second clue would have been my middle name is Armando. I don't know if you knew yeah, that was yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Other clues were in 1976, I made my debut for Argentinos Juniors, becoming the youngest ever player in, an, in the Argentine top flight, just shy of my 16th birthday, which I didn't know, actually. I was not yeah. surprised here he'd make an early debut. There we go. Fourth one was he went on to play most notably for Boca, Barca and Napoli. And the fifth one yeah. was, although pulling off a nutmeg just a few minutes into my aforementioned record-breaking debut at Argentinos Juniors, prompting me to later say that day I felt I had the sky in my hands. Um, mm-hmm. I'm perhaps rather more famous for my hand of God quote. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Did, did, did you see that film about him recently? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. The documentary. Yeah. 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 If there's anyone listening who hasn't seen the documentary that was, I think it was made by the same people who made Senna, wasn't it? The yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, very, very good. Well worth watching. Well worth, uh, while we're on lockdown, have a, you know, spend a couple of hours looking at that. It was uh, quite enlightening. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a very good documentary maker. I think Capardia, I think his name is. Um, I'm not sure, but he, very good. It's yeah. worth, worth checking out. Yeah. Well, there we go. So you scored 11, which is actually the same as Peter and also Josh, another contestant. Um, so you are, I think, in joint second place, actually, if I'm... Oh, is that it? Oh, right. I thought, oh, okay then. Oh, yeah, all right. You, you bounced back with your Who Am I round. That, that made um, all the difference there. So 11 out of 15, well done on that. Decent, respectable score to finish on. Oh, uh, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take that. West, <laughs> if there's one, Benfica. Yeah, that's brilliant. What yeah. did I get? Yeah, Benfica, yeah, didn't know that. West Germany was annoying because uh, that's come up in a pub quiz question and I clearly didn't learn my lessons from that. I've had a few like that recently where you kind of had the same question a few times on things and you just forget the answer and it's like... you. I think I put the same wrong answer three times for the same question in the quizzes recently. Yeah, you I could just remember. If you, get, if, you get so, if you get something wrong twice in a quiz, then basically you're never going to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> Default setting in your brain is always just like. I think the other thing with me is, I mean, if you, you know, remembering the 1970s with, you know, Holland, my first World Cup was 78 that I can properly remember. So, of course, you know, Holland lost that one. So, in my head, I've always got something, you know, I've always got Holland as the bridesmaids, basically. <laughs> oh, dear. On top of that, I just don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I think you probably do in general. Um, Spencer, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, for thanks this so much, Spencer. It's been really good. Yeah, it's been good, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been fun, lads. Good way. Which yeah. is good again sometime, definitely. <laughs> good way of spending a couple of hours on yeah. Sunday. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the rest. <laughs> and the rest, yeah, definitely. A few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks Excellent. so much for coming on. All the best. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.